no, let's not start again. I'll just chop a little bit there. I don't want to start again. Let's let's keep it real. You you just said something about one poet. I didn't quite catch the name, Suhyun, about mm -hmm. somebody writing about transgender characters. Could you just mm -hmm. uh, expand on who that was? I didn't quite catch it. You said it very fast. Uh, yeah, Che Hoki. He's a yeah. I featured him in Nadalera as well, and um, Hong Byung-sun also wrote a about a transgender um, person, although he's not a transgender. Um, so those poems exist also by like, you know, anonymous poets, you know, who use pseudonyms. There are mm. poems like that. So um, that's why I said it's not the first queer poetry, but like openly, you know, gay, like you know, openly queer poetry by an openly gay poet. Mm. I think, you know, that might be the first work. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I remember reading something recently about somebody reading East Hang's poetry through a queer lens and, and mm. they were that and I and I'm not sure if that was anachronistic or projecting mm. or but it makes sense what you're saying that this is the first openly queer one. Does mm. that say something about Korean society in general? So before we get into that, I mean South Korea is definitely changing in in, in the last mm. 10, 20 years. Things are becoming more progressive, like storylines in dramas and things like that, mm. and now featuring these a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Perhaps for the people that don't live or work in Korea, can you give us some kind of that context or how you see this? Is it still really conservative? Is it changing? Is it becoming more embracing or? Oh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> um, mm. I think it is changing. You know, it's definitely changing. And I want to uh, mention this later when I'm talking about Kim Hyun. Mm. But, you know, he was born in 1980, and just imagine him growing up in the 1980s and 90s in Korea. I think the first um, openly gay and transgender people in Korea were like, you know, in two, early 2000s, like you know, when I was growing up, mm -hmm. um, Harizu came out uh, in 2000 or 2001, and Hong Seok came out in 2000. Mm -hmm. And they were not positively received. Um, Harisu was a little better, but like, you know, it was more like it. people were amazed that, oh, um, she looks like a woman. I mean, she's a woman, but that's mm. what people said. Mm. But Hong Seok Chun, like, you know, he kind of had to step down from everything. Like, so, like, he was gone for like so many years. But even so, at least when I was growing up, I knew that there are those people, you know, they are not okay, but, you know, mm. there are those people. Mm. Um, gay and transgender people and having that kind of word having that kind of figure i think it was drastically different from uh gay or lesbian or transgender culture being underground and you know teenagers growing up and not knowing about it um and now i think it is more uh actively discussed um, which means that there are more backlashes too, but mm. you know there are um, organizations like Dingdong, which is an um, LGBT organization for teenagers, which didn't exist when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, so I think things are changing, and um, I think the with the Christianity, like Christian population in Korea, um, they, there are fundamentalists who feels um strongly against it but i don't think otherwise people really have the like the faith to go against you know homosexuality or transgenders people might think that you know oh those people are not like a traditionally korean it's not our tradition it's like a mm -hmm. western like you know thing mm -hmm. but 
at the same time, traditions change. Even like the concept of unnatural is fake, right? Like, you know, uh, what is natural, what is nature and what is human nature and what is artificial? Where do we draw the line between mm -hmm. them? So it is like easier to um, persuade people or like have a conversation with people, even if they are, they have um, prejudice against the um, gay people, or transgender people. Um, it's not as strong as them thinking that being gay or trans is a sin. Like sin is something transcendental mm -hmm. they are given by their god and it's unchangeable it doesn't change just because the society changes mm -hmm. um so i so i say a lot of uh i don't know how to say it i think it's complicated i think i'll just put it that way yeah. it is absolutely very complicated and you know when you talk about korean culture these kind of things. I mean, Korea culture today is very different from what it was 10 years ago. From It's mm -hmm. changing all the time. It's not a static entity or this kind of transcendental thing as you were describing it that way. It's always moving. And there's this one idea, Suhyun, that I've explored often in. You mentioned that uh, Kim Hyun, who we'll be talking about today, born in 1980, would have grown up without that representation, without those figures in the media. When I grew up in the United Kingdom, it was George Michael, Elton John, Freddie Mercury, yes. uh, Samantha Fox, or Ian McKellen, Stephen Fry. Mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of natural for me. I never had to rationalize my attitudes towards it. It was kind of a natural thing. And so yeah. I guess now that's why Korea is changing because people, mm -hmm. your generation and younger, they're growing up with that. That does yeah. seem to be a, a good thing, that representation. And I guess that's why Kim Hyun's collection is another step there. Now, it's described as queer poetry. Now, I, I don't know if this is going to be like a technical term or is, is queer poetry a genre? Is it poetry that explores the nature of being queer or is it just poetry written by queer people? Can straight people write queer poetry? How, what is queer poetry, Suhyun? Um some people might disagree but i just mm -hmm. think of it as a more of a character description right just a descriptive word it's not a genre okay. um there's no gatekeeping here oh. poems that explore identities experiences or emotions that do not conform to the traditional concept of gender and sexuality i think we can describe them as queer mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be like you actively identify as gay person i mean there are straight people who explore with their feelings, you know, um, uh, that, that are not like um, heterosexual. <laughs> there are those uh, people and I think everything counts really. Um, it's just like, you know, how we call like a soft and moist up, like a squishy. It's just like that. It's just a word you describe um, the work. Um, so yeah, that's why I think about it. So it's not a job. And I think that's where things are going more on spectrums rather than this kind of this or that, this binary, but it's, it's right. more spectrum. Okay. So that's, that's kind of queer poetry. Now, when I, I, I read through this, this collection of 51 poems called Glory Hole from Kim Hyun, like I'm, I, I'm married, I have a wife and I'm, I, I'm straight, but I, I still loved it. I mean, I also grew up, I, I I've read Burroughs and I've read Genet's Our Lady of the Flowers and all of these things, but I was able to take a lot from it. Now, in terms of identity these days, Suhyun, there's been a lot of conversation about certain people should play certain roles in movies. Um, in Korean television, there was Uridu uh, Le Blues, Our Blues, and there was, uh, for the first time, a disabled person playing a disabled role. 
yeah. rather and so that idea of you know authentic representation is important how did identity come into the translation of this work so if you're translating queer poetry do you have to have a certain understanding of the queer lifestyle does identity matter or does art just you know transcend that and creativity and empathy plays the biggest uh, the biggest factor in this i think empathy plays the biggest factor in this um mm. but i think it depends on a uh, specific work right um so um for glory hall the references um can make it's foreign fantastical um we know Andy Warhol is gay. Um, you don't like you need a um, you don't need to be gay to know that. Right. But there might be some works that refer to I guess specific slangs or underground culture um, that is specific to a certain city or a country. And if you are not a part of them, you might not get the meaning. You might not get the references. In that case, I think it's definitely necessary for you to be a part of those um, people. But uh, for Glory Hall, I don't think it is necessary. I think what's more important is um, you sharing the feeling that is embedded in the poems, mm. um, knowing how it is to be excluded, uh, feeling excluded, or feeling different, being confused about yourself. And if you can connect your experience to Kim's experience in these poems, if you can channel it to it, I think it's, it's going to work. You know, if, if you're um, queer, I think it's going to help, but I don't think it is necessary. Mm -hmm. I, I, when you say if you're queer, it would help because there are, I mean, I think maybe that's what sometimes might make it queer literature because the use of certain terms or the use of mm -hmm. certain, you know, whether it's language, whether it's idioms that I identify it as that thing. I remember reading through some of them and going, there was one that stuck with me, like peanut butter is a use for a certain thing. I can't remember what it was now. Can you remember what peanut butter was used to? I, I, I remember, actually. <laughs> OK, it was, it was pretty yeah. fluid and graphic, yeah. as a lot of the mm -hmm. work was. But mm -hmm. you, there's a lot of that in there. And so you think empathy is the most important thing and this idea of understanding this I, this concept of being ostracized or outside is that what this work is is it a work of understanding those who sit outside mainstream society um i don't, I don't think it's the the work is about you know those people but those are the what is that the fundamentals that builds up the whole poetry collection mm. um you know given the I just like describe the uh, circumstance Kim Young would have grown up, um, and the the fact that uh, there is so much destruction and those experiences can be explained only through, um, you know, just defying like conventions and destroying things. I think so. I think it is a, um, a crucial part of it. But I don't want readers to like read the poetry collection thinking, oh, I should understand, you know, who's excluded here and you know, I should figure that out. That is not the main project, but you should be mindful about it.
Mm. Yeah, maybe it's not didactic. It's not forcing a message or a thing on people, but sometimes right. like Andy Warhol stuff, it's just art for art's mm. sake. And it is that. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned sort of Kim Hyun a couple of times now. Perhaps let's turn the conversation to him. And um, so you said he was born in 1980. I, I watched an interview he was given, or rather a conversation with um, Huang Yin Tan, uh, mm -hmm. two poets talking together. And just from the conversation I listened to them speaking in Korean, Kim Hyun seemed very humorous soft-spoken kind of mm -hmm. you know cool guy have you met him did you talk with yeah. him during this can you tell us anything mm -hmm. about kim hyun the person suhyun yeah um i think your impression is exactly right um i met him at the uh, changbi cafe it's the cafe in the video you, you watched okay uh, with Wang in chan and mm. kim hyun um but yeah, and we had lunch together after then. Um, he's a very humorous and soft-spoken person for sure. And he's very humble too. But um, by soft-spoken, it doesn't mean he's shy or reserved, right? Mm. He expresses everything he needs to express. Uh, uh, he's one of the most uh, vocal spurs of the Me Too movement within the Korean literary circle. And, you know, uh, he spoke up in the literary journal called Ishibiru uh, Sejimuna. 21st century literature, and he has worked with the uh, women's hotline, Yosong mm -hmm. And you know, he has also volunteered for Dingdong, a safe space for our teenagers for a long time. So he's like very active and he's very just there. You know, he really wants to um, help people and he's not a type of person who would hide and then write like subversive literature and that's it. But mm. he does that, but he also likes to um, help people directly. And but when he's like a um, challenging like people like mm -hmm. you know in those like Me Too movements and things like that, he's still very soft spoken, I think. Um, but that's just how he speaks, right? Yeah. I think to to do something like that in South Korea makes it even more impressive, because I I, I sometimes find in my my perspective perspective might be uh, some people might disagree with it it's just my own opinion but sometimes in South Korea it's hard to to stand up and go against the grain or, or to go against the majority opinion people expect or there's a value on social harmony there's a value on the collective there's a value on the uri sometimes and so to stand up and 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 go against that I think takes even more courage perhaps in South Korea than in other parts where we focus on this hyper individualism and and speaking mm -hmm. one's truth but I think what he's doing here speaks to even more courage perhaps yeah I, I think a lot of um Korean LGBT people feels a pressure not to talk about it or not to be too active about you know, LGBT movement because of their family members. Like, think about your mom and dad, you know. Mm. Uh, if, like, everyone else in the village knows that, you know, you're gay, like, yeah, how are you going to feel about it? And I think those concerns are more real, like, or actively felt in Korea mm. than in the United States, in my experience. But, yeah, it's like a, um, Kim Yeon, actually, in one of the interviews, um, he said that a poet, as somebody who sings first, like Sun Chan, so that crowd can sing along. Um, and I think that's exactly who he is as, as a person. And uh, if uh, people get the reference in the poem, um, he makes a reference to, um, you know, um, what is that? Uh, to the Chukbushiri, 
um, candlelight um, demonstration yep. during, during Park Park's time. You know, um, he doesn't say it explicitly, but if somebody knows the Korean culture, they would get it. So he, there is a lot of political element in the poem too. The, that's a beautiful line, Suhyun, that you said. A poem is someone who sings. A poet, sorry, a poet is someone who sings first, so that other people can join in. That's that's a really nice idea, yeah. To 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 push art and to to have those people to speak out and to push the conversation. Yeah, that's excellent. What kind of reputation? So we get an idea, perhaps, of his work in social and cultural and progressive movements with um you said about the the yosong chonwa the women's helpline and, and ding dong and uh these kind of things what about in the literary world kim hyun's reputation in the literary world because you um i hear about kim ji haru recently passed and he was always well known isang who i mentioned go Un was everywhere until the scandals against him sort yeah. of you don't hear or see about him anymore. So mm. where does like Kim Hyun sit in the, the literary world conversation in South Korea? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, those people you mentioned, um, they're obviously um, old <laughs> and they <laughs> passed away. And um, yeah, yeah Goen was like considered, you know, the master before the scandal mm. happened. Um, and yeah, the... Um, with those people, the similarities they share is also that those their works appear in a Korean textbook, you know, Korean literature textbook, mm. middle school and high school students learn. Mm. Um, that's how people learn about those people, right? And that is not the case for most contemporary um, poets, especially young poets like uh, Kim Hyun. Um, so um, he, I don't think people who do not read poetry would know Kim Hyun that well, but people who do would definitely know him. You know, mm. so. There are so many great poems, poets like, you know, Hwang Chan you mentioned, I think he's the same case. It's very well established within the circle, but there aren't that many people reading poetry, to be honest. And, you know, let's face it, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, he has the reputation of those people who whose work appear in a textbook and everyone has to read their works. I get a lot. So many of the, the Korean students in my lecture classes, they hate George Orwell because they had to read him in textbooks when they were like oh. in middle school. And I'm like, yeah. no, just read him when you're older. Then you'll get it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you're yeah. made to read something, always hate it. Is yeah. there, is there such thing? And also, I'm glad that you called um, Kim Hyun young because I was born in 1981. So by <laughs> okay. I'm also young then, if, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Is there such thing as Korean poetry? So you mentioned like these, these older people who are in textbooks, they're kind of gone. And there's this mm -hmm. new contemporary thing. Now you work in literature in that field. But when I think of French poetry, I might start thinking of like existentialists and very Dadaism and that kind of thing. If I think of Russian poetry, I might think of kind of epic or bleak. These might be stereotypes that you completely mm -hmm. disagree with. But I'm just curious, is it possible to characterize in any way? Are there any common traits? Contemporary Korean poetry, not the old dead guys, yeah. but the people that are doing oh. stuff now. Ah. Uh. I don't know, you know, I, I really have no idea. Um, I know a lot of young poets, you know, um, they are um, experimental and they have 
out of the you know those um, definition of oh poems should have lines and you know mm. um, rhymes mirrors you know but I don't think outside of that if they have like a specific styles or like mood they share I don't know you know um, I think there are gotta be a better person to answer that I'm not one of them. <laughs> No, it's fair enough. But I do think uh, a lot of Korean poetry seems that, that I read and I, I don't read a lot, but you, we both know Brother Anthony, uh, I, I think, and he's always posting his translations. So I, yeah. I, I read a lot of those. Um, but Korean poetry does always seem experimental to me. There was this one thing that I could never understand Korean traditional music like Pansori or Sandor. Mm -hmm. And um, I spoke to uh, Jocelyn Clark, who is a mm, great yeah, instrumentalist, yeah, yeah. and she explained to me that I'm listening to it wrong and I have to listen for the beat on the one and the nine. So I, I'm Western, I'm always listening, to, mm, tsh, mm, tsh. I'm listening for yeah. the two and the four. But when she yeah. explained the one and the nine, I was like, I am, and I started listening to it again and it all made sense once yeah. I got that. And so I'm always looking for that thing with Korean poetry now or Korean literature, mm -hmm. do you have to understand something to get the Korean? Can non-Korean people get Korean poetry? You see, it's that's like a really hard to answer for me because I grew up Korean and I never mm -hmm. had to like, you know, um, think about how to understand Korean poetry. Right. Um, I grew up with it. So it's really hard for me to answer. Um, yeah. Did you write poetry yourself? You did. did uh, you? Yeah, when I was little, um, I figured out I'm not really that talented. You know, I, I can write a story, but poetry is a different animal. <laughs> it's just, yeah. But um, yeah. So when I think about like American poetry, like mm. these days, contemporary American poetry, they are oftentimes um, come from uh, spoken words. Uh, spoken mm -hmm. words yeah and they tend to be very uh political not as in like a part of politics but you know what i mean yeah um and i think korean poetry doesn't necessarily share that there are some poems like that but you know there are a lot fewer poems like that compared to american poetry but that's also my impression on american poetry that might not be accurate so yeah see i have like an impression on american poetry because i didn't grow up with it but you know it's really hard to say about korean poetry mm, mm, mm. I, I, it's probably as diverse in so many different genres and ranges but it, it, it's interesting to talk about i'm sure many people will have their opinions on what korean poetry is now you you translated kim hyun's work and, and just for those that are not sure kim hyun he won the Shindong Yup Prize for Literature, the Kim Jun Song mm -hmm. Literary Award. So mm -hmm. quite a big standing. Mm -hmm. um, he's got poems like debuted in 2009 with poems such as Blowjob. Mm -hmm. These are pretty impressive titles to, yeah. <laughs> to debut <laughs> with you. I mean, what's your first poem? It's called Blowjob, mate. Like, <laughs> when did you first come across Kim Hyun's work? Was, yeah, um, it's actually uh, when I was trying to feature um, queer uh, literature for Nabilera. Um, so I knew there are queer um, short stories and stuff like that, but I never thought about like, queer poetry mm. uh, because, like, as I said already, um, poetry often they don't, a poetry collection doesn't have a theme. So 
Mm. Uh, I just like it searched if I can find anything and Kim Young's work popped up and I read it and I was impressed. I was like, oh, this is the work I need to feature. This is mm. really <laughs> great. Um, so that's uh, how I found, found out about it. And what is the work? What are the qualities of Kim Young's work? Because I, I've read through it now a couple of times and tried to do I listened to one interview, Suhyun, where you described his work as destructive, destroying the boundaries between realities, but that providing creativity and a sense of beauty. So it's destructive, it's creative, it, it challenges, it, it, it uh, addresses boundaries in society. Mm -hmm. What is it in Kim Hyun's work? Can you try to perhaps explain it to us when you read it, you went that I want that. Yeah, um, I think I had two things in mind. Um, though, so the first, first one is about the poem itself, uh, uh, or poems themselves. Mm. Um, so when you dissect the poem, like each poem, it doesn't make sense. Like Kim uses so many words in an unconventional and a creative way, it defies our reason. But that's exactly what makes Kim's work so unique, so interesting. You have to delve into it and focus on his work and every single word and trying to figure out what he's saying. Mm. And I thought that that was the beauty. And also when you step back and look at the whole poetry collection, it still doesn't make sense. You know, some poems seem to be continu continuation of the previous poems, but they're not like as Jason. So like sometimes you only realize that they are connected after you read the whole thing. Mm. Um, so, uh, so you see that there is this connection, but also the connection, but they are not as clear. And so it, it fluctuates, you know, between those kind of um, opposite like spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that on its own, I thought was a unique experience. And the second thing I, I was thinking of when I said that is um, Kim's experience. Again, like, you know, Kim was growing up when there was no word for gays or, you know, transgenders, at least for teenagers and children. Mm. And so, um, and this poetry collection specifically is coming of age story. So I just thought about uh, what would it be to experience uh, one's, uh, one's attraction to uh, another boy or a man as mm. a man during that time. It's gonna be radically confusing and a destructive um, experience it just destroys the everything you knew about love you know which mm. is defined as man and women's love anyway so i felt like um actually reenacting that experience it was a really uh creative um work he produced it's emphatically um queer and yeah that's so that's what i uh, meant when i said like it's creative mm. And yeah, it's absolutely emphatically queer because we, we asked about like, what is queer poetry at the start? And it's hard to describe. But if you read Kim Hyun's work, it, it, that's what it is. One of the things that I noticed most about it, and I think perhaps because a lot of the writing I do, Su Hyun, and I, I try to write poetry sometimes and, and lyrics and stuff like that, a lot of it is very abstract. I get in that kind of like tolak dogin mode and all this kind of thing. But for, for Kim Hyun, it's so vivid he's writing about people and characters and and scenes and fluids and bodily acts 
and it only might be one page or half a page but i can see it all in my mind's eye as he describes it he creates these i think he has this amazing ability to bring to life it's almost like a movie scene or something it's almost like yeah. he's describing a movie scene with a character in there mm -hmm. who's doing something do, do you get that mm -hmm. idea from him or yeah definitely um and uh, you should also note that he refers to a lot of uh, visual artists and you know some of the trans um poems are the titles of movies mm. and um Dong Sa Wa so um yeah that is the title of a movie so i think he is consciously making it visible and like it make while making it visible he just like it um pulls everything apart you know in front of you <laughs> yeah you you said like in this idea of translating uh kim hyun's Gloria, do you think when he wrote these he had a meaning to all of this because sometimes we write mm -hmm. stuff and then right. you know other people then infer or they mm -hmm. project into their what they want mm -hmm. to see i remember mm -hmm. one time somebody uh told john lennon that teachers were analyzing his lyrics and so he went mm -hmm. off and wrote i am the walrus which is just a bunch of garbage and said mm -hmm. analyze that then motherfucker like there's nothing to it <laughs> do you yeah. think kim hyun is working through something or it's more sort of that kind of unconsciousness that coming of age dealing with those issues you were talking about um i don't exactly know uh how he wrote it but i would definitely say he probably didn't plan every single word right like uh, even as a like a writer like you know i write short stories i, I don't i can't see that happening you know um mm. There are moments when you just put things randomly and like more visceral, like, you know, things happening when you're writing more like a stream of consciousness sometimes. Mm. Um, so I think that definitely is there. Um, but my job, of course, as a translator is to think about how to um, translate these things in English, which, um, which actually you have to, even if the poem didn't have the meaning you still have to think about the meaning because you're translating the meanings so yeah um so probably i was like a um putting like a meanings to the words to me mm. didn't mean anything but i think that's just a part of my job absolutely yeah but i i haven't read the korean i've only read the english can you give us some idea and you'll say, well, it's just like the English, David, you've read the English, but can you give us some idea of the, the Korean Kim Hyun's poetry, Glory Hole, what it reads like, what it sounds like, um, because you must have spent some time with it. Yeah, but rather than your translation, can you just give us mm -hmm. perhaps a little bit of insight into that original Korean? Mm -hmm. um, I try to keep like a, most of the like visceral feelings in the um, Korean original, but obviously Kim Yan in the in the uh, original uh, work, he was being very playful with the words, a lot of puns and a lot of stylistic, you know, um, twists um, that can happen in English, you know, mm. because of the syntactical differences and things like that. Um, so um, yeah, uh, you said uh, when you watched the uh, the interview, Kim Hyun was a very humorous person, mm. and I think that humor is there. It's like a dark humor. It's not mm. a, like a bright humor, but um, it's there. Um, and what else? 
Yeah, other than that, I think, you know, the Korean work, I think it's still very uh, destructive. I had to read it so many times to understand what is going on. I, mm. I just, I didn't even have a gist of what was going on for some of the works, you know, some of the poems. I just had to read like five times and then focus on this line and, you know, read it like 10 times. And, I, and then I get, oh, perhaps, you know, this is happening. Um, so it's very convoluting, um, very playful. Mm. I, I can't imagine how you did it, Suhyun, because I've, I've spent some time trying to translate just for to share public knowledge, um, Taeyong Ho's book and some of mm. Cho Guk's book, just, mm. you know, just privately, just to share with people. But I can't imagine what it's like to translate Glory Hole, because like you said, I've read some of these poems. I read it through twice. I read some of the poems like for and I just had no idea what it meant. I'm English. I'm reading it in English, but but yeah. no idea. But I think maybe that's the point. So how you translated that, my word. Yeah, I think that's the fun part of, you know, being a translator, <laughs> like a, especially a poetry translator. You worked um, with a, a co-translator on this. Yeah. Um, yeah Archana. Archana. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you just tell me something about Archer? What was it like working? Because it's it's kind of interesting, isn't it, Suhyun? Because you have one man, Kim Hyun, who you who you know, who's a real person, who's still alive, and then you've got two people bringing one person's work into mm -hmm. a book. So that's right. like three voices going on there. And yes. if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm not sure. Archana is not Korean. Mm, she's not. Yeah, okay. She's American. Okay, she's American, yeah. So yeah. Uh, how does all that work? So you've mm. got one voice into two, into one. Right, so uh, of course we try to make sure that, you know, we don't sound like two people, you know, when we're translating. Mm. Um, so how I worked with her was basically what I did for the uh, Napolera as well. But, you know, uh, we have a translator and a, somebody who reviews the translation and critiques translation. Mm. And then translator and the reviewer comes up with a better translation together. Um, so I did like a, for the two thirds of the book, I translated and, you know, Ar Archana chimed in and she made all of the comments and, you know, we revised it together. And for the one third, she translated and also the commentary, she translated the um, whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I went over it and then, you know, I critiqued it and we came up with a better translation, which worked really well because, you know, uh, just by myself, I don't think I could have gotten all of the things there, you know, in the um, uh, Kim Yeon's poetry collection. Um, sometimes I didn't get the references. Sometimes, you know, it's just, I think, uh, not even for the Glory Hole, but I think it's also always good to have uh, two people like, working together and critiquing each other. No, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll read through one of my columns before I send it to the newspaper like five times. And then as soon as I've sent it, someone will say, there's a mistake in there. And right, like, you, yeah. you can't see it. You're just exactly. blind to stuff. It's, I yes. don't know how it works. Does, mm -hmm. does Kim Hyun speak any English or was there any com conversation with him during the process? Or does he have any, did he have any response once it was released? He was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I don't like what you did there, Su Hyun. Or... No, um, no, he uh, didn't. <laughs> um, I don't <laughs> think he, his English is that good um but i did ask him with some of the um word choices because i couldn't figure out the meaning you know mm -hmm. sometimes i have to ask him what do you mean here like i really can't figure it out and for one of the words there were there were very few but um but for one of the words it was the 
it was a word he just came up with. It's not in the dictionary. He, okay. He's like, yeah, it's just a word I just created. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm glad I asked you because I, you know, I don't think I can figure it out. But yeah, so except for those kind of moments where I needed him for my translation, he didn't really chime in. Yeah, he was just chill. Um, and he always liked it, liked it when I told him on news, like, you know, oh, the book is coming out and I'm having an interview with this, you know, person. And, you know, Kim is always excited. That's great. Yeah, that's great that his work can can transcend and, and be made available to other people. I guess let's talk about some of the words, because you mentioned that he was making up some words and things like this. And now for those listeners of a, I don't know, a more sensitive disposition, some of the words that he uses are rather kind of in your face. So one of the ones that stood out was sad vagina, I quite liked. And then in, you've mentioned it before, but in Korean, this idea of this uh, body, these are very sort of graphical terms that you wouldn't necessarily say in front of your grandmother or something like that, or at least I wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, everyone has different. <laughs> everyone has different grandmothers. Yeah. But whether it's in English or whether it's in Korean, we're dealing with words really related to to sexual organs, to sexual fluids, um, you know, descriptions of genitals and, uh, and and carnal acts and things like this. I mean. Are there any particular expressions that stood out to you? I mean, because when I heard sad vagina, I was like, oh, that should so be like an indie underground band or something like that. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of vagina monologues and this kind of thing. Uh, were, were there any expressions that stood out? Were there any ones that you were like, well, wow, this is kind of really some interesting language here? Well, um, there were so many sexual expressions in Kimian's poetry. So at some point I became numb <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, not surprising yeah. anymore yeah. so i think something that struck me is actually um a line that's really clinical like weirdly clinical um i brought it here um mm. let me see yeah so the line goes here the usage of the term is restricted to the act of heterosexual couple gray and bonnie smith who, for the purpose purposes of reproduction by means of sperm uniting with egg, inserted pen, penis into vagina and through mutual friction resulted in instinctive ejaculation. So I think you know this one was the for me it was the most striking line um, because uh, at first I'm like, oh, you know, that's a really strong word. I but, said it oh, to my oh. wife and she looked at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um and I, so, and then like, you know, there's a line where the uh, penis kind of dies and becomes blue and, you know, all those kind of Ooh. things. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, those were striking, but uh, in the end, I think, you know, um, when I think about a glory hole again, um, the one I remember the first is this line, you know, that mm. is exceedingly um, clinical. It's just so unusual to hear you know, these kind of things um, in a clinical context. So, yeah. I love the way you describe that, Suhyun. And I, I think this is perhaps really interesting because when I saw it was called Glory Hole and it was this collection of queer, I thought it was going to be kind of sexy. I don't know. I But for those that haven't read it, it's not like a Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not something yeah, that you read to get aroused. It's not something mm -hmm. that you're going to worry. Oh, I'm reading queer poetry and I'm aroused. Am I queer? It, that's mm -hmm. not going on with this, actually. It's rather the mm -hmm. opposite. Yeah. 
it's it, it's actually taking it's using a lot of this sexual language but making you step back and defamiliarize this clinical way you look at it but it's the exact opposite of sexy mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. sobering like you're saying a dude you know whose penis is going blue like how can you feel <laughs> sexy about it so i don't know yeah, it's um yeah, it's, it, it, and exactly because um, Kim Hyun is defying any kind of imagery there is, he's like you know, pulling things apart. Um, it's definitely not sexy. You're not going to get aroused. Um, mm. Yeah. No. no uh, yeah. Absolutely. You you read that really nice line about <laughs> the penis and, and the automatic ejaculation and things like that. This was this was one of my favorite lines. I just want to read it while we're here. We won't do whole poems, mm -hmm. but. Um, I suddenly don't know how to pronounce this name. Watanabe? Watanabe? Is that right? Uh, Watanabe, yeah. Watanabe, thank you. Watanabe, who was looking at his tongue in the mirror, opened the cabinet and took a dose of depression and daydream. And I, I, I love that, a dose of depression and daydream. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. yes. Do you take the red pill or do you take the blue pill? You uh, take them both. <laughs> That, mm -hmm. that seems to be Kim Hyun's work is this creative mm -hmm. is this, this destruction, the looking in the mirror and that constant self reflection and expression that psychological journey. It's, it, it's really interesting stuff. Do we just while we're staying on his work, do we read it? I mentioned like, there's elements of William Burroughs and things like that. There's elements of Genet. Um, is that the right way to, to understand Kim Hyun and Glory Holt, or is that ethnocentrism and we should understand it more through a Korean lens? I mean, I'm just trying to give people that haven't read it like frames of reference and things. Are they right. the right frames or should we understand it differently? Um, I think in the end, you know, we should um, understand Kim Hyun uh, through the lens of Korea and the context, you know, of Korea. Yeah. I mean, it uses a lot of, you know, um, American references, but that's also a re reflection of Korea in the 1980s and 90s. So we mm. should look that also through a Korean lens. Yes. Uh, but I think analogy always help people to get interested in the work like, uh, when they don't know anything about it. Mm. So I think like if somebody who knows nothing about uh, Korean literature, nothing about Kim Hyun, um, but interested in like English poetry, I think mm. that could be, a, you know, oh yeah, you should try it out, you know, and then make some analogy. But, you know, other than that, I don't think, you know, it is helpful to like think about it, you know, in that term. No, no, I completely agree. We should see Korea through Korea lens and, and Korean culture. There are a lot of Western references in the English version. In in Kim Hyun's original, are they kind mm -hmm. of? I I mean, in terms of the names and things like that, it's mm -hmm. not always like you know, Kim Hyun Dong said this, but there, there are lots of Western names and things like that. Are they Western names and titles and things in mm -hmm. the original, or did yes. you? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the, a lot of them are transliteration. I, I, you okay. know, they were like a blowjob or glory hole. Mm. Um, in Korean title, it is blowjob, glory hole. Okay. You know, as well as a lot of names. Yeah. Um, so that was the things um, I was 
a little bit worried about when I was translating. Obviously, like a translation, like literally, it is easy. You know, it's just a transliteration, and you know,、mm. it's an English word. But when you read a Korean word, because there are so many English words, it feels foreign. Like you know, this entire poem feels like you know, it's not Korean enough. You know, it feels、yeah. like it's from somewhere else. But since like most of the references are American and I translated in English. It doesn't sound as foreign. Like it's not like you know. It sounds the poem sounds foreign because he this because of its like a Koreanness, not because of its you know Americanness, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, obviously um, there is no way I can like you know、uh, make Americans feel foreign about American references. But you know, though I was conscious about like that kind of loss I'm gonna make in the translation.、Mm. I have noticed. I, I mean, I remember when I was big into Murakami Haruki and things like that, and that was all just full of Western references as well. And I think、mm. that was part of the appeal for people that it was、mm. it was that kind of fusion. It was that fusion style between the two. Is there a Korean word for glory hole? That's a weird question, but no, it's just glory hole. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it's interesting that like in one of the、uh, in the commentary, you know.、Um, It's not written by me or Archana, but the, it was included in the original Korean work. And you know, the、uh, commentator starts out saying, "When you hear the word、uh, 'glory hole,' it sounds like you are in a wedding hall, <laughs> like a glory hole." <laughs> it does. It does in Korean. Yeah, 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 yeah. in Korean. Yeah, because it is transliterated. It's glory hole. So, yeah. <laughs> It's, It, it was so funny for me, but probably that person was being serious. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can imagine some you know nice old lady going up. Oh, this is about <laughs> wedding halls and things. Yeah, like that. pick this book up and then have a heart attack on page six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>、um, how how does that work with you? I mean, because. Congratulations on bringing this book out, Suhyun. Like this, this is a cool thing to have done because I can only imagine how much work it is, and the pressure and stress, and the the fear of failure, and the imposter syndrome that all comes with people that write and work like this. It's real.、Mm-hmm. So, really, congratulations on this. How does、Thank、it、you. feel if you ever go to、um, I don't know? Like family dinners or chusok, or you meet somebody and say, "Oh yeah, I, I I've released a book recently," and they、oh. say, "Oh, what is it?" And you're like, "Ah, well, here we go." Yeah. How do you、um, deal with that? What's going on there? Um, I think I mean, fortunately, I don't have any、uh, family member who has a, like a fundamentalist, like you know, a religious view.、Mm. So、um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, and I th- honestly, I think like you know, older people, you know, they are actually better with this because you know they just think, oh, it's like a young people's thing. Right, right? right. It's just like you dump everything into <laughs> that category. You know, young people do it、yeah. and just like you know close the door. <laughs> That's the end of the argument. And That's also, nice, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, like young people talk about like you know more explicit things these days, and、mm. you know that's、uh, how they just. Understand it, and they move on. And also, like a there is artistic license, so I can just say, oh, you know, just、uh, it's like a、uh, nude portrait in a museum. You know, like there are naked pictures and、mm-hmm. you know those kind of things.、Mm-hmm. And poetry is literary art, so it's art. So I, I don't, I don't think my like old aunts or uncles would have a problem with it, to be honest. 
Mm. Um, but um, if I had a friend who is like, you know, who think these things are sinful, then I think I would have a lot more trouble like introducing this work to that person because I'm doing something like, you know, demonic. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I haven't thought about that because, you know, I don't have fundamentalist friends around me. Sure. Let's flip that around then. Do you think the fact that it is queer poetry makes it more attractive in the current age? Because we're living, you know, if it was perhaps a, um, you know, a, a, a poetry of Jobek or negative space and traditional hand that people might be a little bit turned off by it because it's not contemporary, it's not modern Korea. Do you think the fact that it is, you know, titled and sort of labeled as Korean queer poetry, that that gives it a sense of newness and actually um, adds to the appeal of the work? Um, so can you repeat the question again, like retroactive? Uh, okay, yeah, no, sorry. So uh, the previous question I asked was, mm -hmm. you know, if you've translated Glory Hole when it has right. poems like Blowjob, it might mm -hmm. be a bit difficult to say that to mm -hmm. some family members or conservative, right. but you said no, yeah. it was okay. Yeah. From the other angle, mm. because we live in a pretty progressive age these days, not just mm. in Korea, but globally, right. because yeah. it's queer poetry, that mm. might make it more uh, attractive yeah. to people. If it was released 30, right. 40 years ago, it might be a bit like, ah, but now people like mm. queer poetry. Yes, let's promote that. We're, we're good people. Right. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's definitely that. Um, Especially given that, like, you know, a lot of people who are interested in arts and poetry, they tend to be, you know, uh, those who like to resist the, you know, the traditional order. Um, I think they get more interested in um, these, like, minority voices that are not represented usually in the mainstream society. So I think people do get interested when they hear, oh, it's a, you know, queer poetry from Korea, like, you know, mm. I want to try that out. Mm. No, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, we, we artistic people like to be like that. Before we move on, Suhyun, is is there anything else we need to say about Glory Hole or, or this work? Because you've spent so much time translating it. I just wonder whether we're doing it justice or if we're missing something or... I think we are doing it justice, like doing it justice, definitely. I asked a lot of questions, so I'm really glad. And um, if they, if the uh, listeners want to figure out more about it, they can read the book. <laughs> so they go buy the book. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm trying to put the style there, uh, this pitch there. Yeah, no, it's um, I, I I'm really glad that I I read through it twice, and because just the the visuals of it the dichotomy between this really you know harsh language mm -hmm. talking about genitals but then the lack of sex but then there's the visual image it always creates of people standing in mirrors sitting on beds old people performing oral sex and mm -hmm. all of this but you can you can see it and I don't know how that's actually achieved because I think if I were to try to write one of his poems now I wouldn't be able to create those visuals. So I think mm -hmm. he definitely has a huge skill in that, Suhyun. Yeah. And, and so do you having translated it? It's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know what, to, what else to say. Um, I think Kenyan is very talented. <laughs> you can obviously see from 
his careful uh, placement of all of the images that, again, defies itself. Um, it's just, he's just a genius, I think. Mm. Do you know what he's doing next? Just before we go on to your literary work and translation, do you know what um, Kim Hyun's doing next or what's going on with him now? Um, he has done a lot of things so far. Um, I actually do not know what he's doing next because I've been like a, uh, after translating this work, I've been like focusing on my um, academics. So um, I'm taking like a hiatus for a year or two. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> well, let, let's talk about this because this fascinates me because you've just been translating Kim Hyun's Glory Hole. But then, if I'm correct, your, your PhD at Princeton University is on Confucian philosophy. It is. These couldn't be yeah. more different. I mean, yeah. you've got Yu-Gi-Oh! Sasang, you've got this, this focus on etiquette and yeah, and well, the, the mm -hmm. correct way of doing things, which seems so polar opposite to Kim Hyun's work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm really glad that you asked me this because a lot of people, they are just wild, but never ask me a question. And I'm like, you know, let me give a chance. Like, you just yeah. give me a chance to like, clarify that. And you, you did. Um, so I'm really glad. Um, I think so. Um, it's important to distinguish the effect Confucianism had on the society and the Confucian philosophy itself. Mm. And um, I'm interested in the philo philosophy part. And of course, there are not two like, separate things, but you can still distinguish them. So, for example, let's say that in Christianity, just because uh, Eve came from the Adam's um, rib, and some people in the past, they thought, you know, they justified like misogyny with that. But we don't have to interpret it that way anymore. And a lot of um, Christian people, they don't interpret it that way. You know, they think, you know, men and women are, are equal and, you know, women do not necessarily have to obey men. So um, I think there is a difference between the how it's interpreted and then like, you know, um, it, how it influences say, society compared to the, um, the ideas themselves. Mm. Um, and so um, my research, I'm specifically interested in um, Confucianism during Song, Ming, Qing, and Joseon dynasty. Mm. And um, these works, um, of course, they are still based on, on Confucian classics, uh, but they also think a lot about human nature and, you know, what is, uh, uh, what is moral, um, moral principle and where does it come from? Does it lie in our heart? Does it lie in the, is there a, a priori moral truth? And or is it embedded in the natural world? So like there are a lot of debates and a lot of arguments. And that's how I got interested in Confucianism. There are actually good arguments that are very rigorous. Mm -hmm. And so um, as a philosopher, I hope to uh, clarify those like, arguments and see if there are any logical gap or like, you know, if there is a gap, what, what is happening? Is there any other textual evidence I can uh, uh, use it, use to uh, supplement it, or if I can't, where, why was this person making this kind of gap in the reasoning? So, um, so I'm, I'm probably digressing a lot, but um, Confucianism is such a, like, it's a collection of diverse thoughts, which is based on the concept of rights, like a rights as a ritual, not as in like human rights, but rituals and etiquette. 
I mean, uh, Confucius was the person who um, internalized those rights by saying that, you know, oh, there is humaneness. And then like Mencius, you know, developed that argument to think about human nature. And, you know, but thousands of years has passed since then. And there has been so many interesting ideas from Confucian um, tradition. And um, I don't think Confucianism can be reduced to, oh, you know, there are like a set of rules and etiquettes, mm. right? And especially when we think about like how these arguments, um, although they have, you know, certain um, social context they were influenced by, like, you know, they, they thought about like a king and minister, but we don't think that, you know, we need kings and ministers to be, to actually have a functioning society, right? So like in a different contemporary context, I think there are so, there's like so much possibility in Confucianism, how we can think about um, our moral relationship with other people and, you know, how we relate to each other while um, uh, rejecting the, you know, misogyny or other things, you know, that come from it. Mm. You're, you're immediately taking me back to my own graduate school days and Han Fei Zhu and the legalist school, believing people yeah. are bad, and then Meng Jia right. or Mencius with the, the mm. four roots, the natural mm -hmm. beginnings of humanity, that we are good right. people. And yeah. if a child was falling into a well, we would immediately right. grasp to save it. Yeah. One of the questions... And, uh, go on, oh, Sihan. Yeah. No, go on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just want to say that, like in Neo-Confucianism, you know, the period I focus on, it was the uh, popular during the period when the literati and, you know, merchants, like, you know, wealthy people were gaining more independence. Like, you know, they, are, they weren't like working for the government anymore and mm. they needed an ideology to think about the moral agency, like their like, individual, how their individual self uh, places in the moral world. So it's, um, yeah, so there is like a robust discussion of like a self not as in like you know it's mostly about the moral self so mm. it's not like it's it's still like you know more like ethics or like meta ethics but yeah it's definitely different from what a lot of people think about confucianism it's just like you know oh, obey the you know older people obey the authority mm. yeah i i mean yeah with with the rise of the merchants and disrupting the four occupations of hanong gong sang and uh mm. One of the questions, I mean, I, I've read the Analex and a, a, a lot of the works and I never come away feeling like I want to do bad or impinge or do become a gonde or, or do gaptil to people. If I read mm. the works, I feel very enlightened and I, I feel very moral. Mm. One of the questions I always get, Suhyun, is um, what is Confucianism in Korea today? Does it still, I mean, people still give things with two yeah. hands, you know, like two sonoro and beko. Like, th but this is what you talk about: rights, not the ethics. So that's mm. the outward display of Confucianism. Mm -hmm. We still bow. We still use two hands. Mm. Mm. Is Confucianism as a philosophical ethic still alive in Korea today, or is it consigned to history and the Song and the Joseon that you're studying? Mm -hmm. Um, I think in academic field, it is, you know, still alive. There are like, you know, um, Korean Confucian scholars, like yeah. who study in um, philosophy departments. Um, but of course, like academia is its own world, right? You know, when we are talking about uh, a 
just the general public. Can you see it at a coffee know, shop? Is it in is it in like yeah. Tucson place or something like that? Because that's how I think culture. Mm-hmm. I don't think like it's mm-hmm. controversial. I don't think uh, hanbok mm-hmm. is Korean culture. I think mm-hmm. it's history. Koreans don't mm-hmm. wear it. I think culture is something right. lived and breathed mm-hmm. and real. Right. So the problem for me uh, when I'm trying to answer this question is that it's really hard to tell if the you know um, especially like you know ideological or philosophical or like the uh, abstract stuff whether it's present in the society it's really hard to tell because it's not like you know external thing you know you can't just like uh, detect and oh yeah it's there right you know that's it mm-hmm. um, it really permeates and then it's uh, sometimes formless and you know often it's entangled with a lot of different ideas so you can't like you know figure out uh, which part of this, like a um, thought, is coming from, right? Like you know, uh, in let's say in conservatism, conservatism, you know, it could be coming from um, Confucianism, but these days it's merged with Christianity as well as you know a lot of different ideas that come from everywhere. So it's really hard to like pluck it out. It's just impossible to answer. But um, so I don't know how to say when I'm asked, um, so is Confucian philosophy still present among people? Like, no, you know. It's like trying to eat <sighs> soup with a fork. Every yeah, time yeah. you pick it up, it drops away, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, but um, I, I study Confucian philosophy because philosophically they have a lot of interesting ideas. And um, what's it's... the most interesting one, Suhyun, of Confucian philosophy, or what's an interesting idea in Confucian philosophy? Um, for me, the most interesting idea is the um, the question of moral knowledge. Um, so, especially in Neo Confucianism, uh, the question is: they all thought that there is a moral principle, and you know, it is people should live by those principles. But the question, of course, was um, how do you attain that knowledge? You know, who has that authority when you're, you know, attaining that knowledge? Who has the agency? Where does it come from? And you know, depending on where you assign where those principles come from, the picture can drastically change, right? Like you know, in one school they think, you know, the moral principle it is, you know, in your heart, and you are the one who is affirming it. Mm. Right. And while others, they think, you know, oh, but there, but if that like is a moral subjectivism, there is like a priori truth that is like, you know, that that is the structure of the universe. Right. There is just like, you know, there's spring and, you know, summer and autumn and winter. There is, you know, certain uh, order of how people behave. And that is there is certain sense of what is moral mm. um, and you have to uh, study like, you know, how to be moral, but, you know, by studying it, I, it there, some people might give more emphasis on like book learning, but, you know, people can emphasize, you know, how you understand, you know, those books and your know, principles and, you know, if you're being sincere and all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I'm interested in the, uh, questions of the relationship between this like concept of having like a real moral principle, but like you know how that is, um, how that interacts with people, like you kind know, of how people can obtain those knowledges. Mm. Um, and I, I just like 
I'm just fascinated when, when I see, you know, how it results in such a drastically different conclusions, you know, depending on those kind of small changes you make. Yeah. Are, are you a Confucian, Suhyun? I, I mean, you spend all that time reading it. If you spent all your time working on Nietzsche or Sartre or, or someone like that, you, you might eventually be called an existentialist or, or something mm -hmm. like that. So are you a Confucianist? Do you think it's affected you, this study? Um, I think it did affect me, you know, when I was studying all that. I don't, I wouldn't call myself like Confucian, you know. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, but um, I do think uh, when I see myself, I'm embedded in the society, you know, and I am, uh, the choices I make, decisions I make, they affect other people. And um, so when I make a decision, I try to be conscious about it. So um, uh, for example, um, like, you know, um, zero waste, you know, those things. Um, for me, it is like inconvenience for me. Like, you know, when you are trying to buy something, mm. I often have to go to several different places to see you know, if there's a better product. And, you know, I also try not to buy it buy things on Amazon and actually try to you know, go to a store and, you know, shop, you know, to reduce, you know, car carbon footage. <laughs> anyway, so like, you know, I, um, so when I think about like how my behavior affects like other people, mm. I also think about like, you know, if I can sacrifice, you know, something, you know, I do. And if I feel like, you know, it's just a, I don't have to like sacrifice a huge part of me. It's, if it's just like a little inconvenience, then I'll go for it, you know, because I'm living with other people. It's not just me, you know, who's living in this world. Um, but of course there are certain things that are really important and I would not sacrifice like, you know, how, uh, who I love, how I identify myself and those kind of things. Um, so I, it's like a more, um, it's not like you know Confucian kind of like a reasoning, but I try to like you know see you know if it, if something outweighs you know the other, mm -hmm. and then try to balance things. Um, so yeah, um, in that way, I think you know I I've been influenced by Confucianism because uh, before I don't I don't know if it, I was directly like influenced by Confucianism. It's like it changes I had like as I. I uh, studied Confucianism more and more, but, you know, there could be other influences too. But mm. yeah, before, definitely before then, like, and I was more about just like a me, 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 you know. Um, so, yeah. Whereas Confucianism, one of the big values in that is Ren or In or that human heartedness, which is the value mm -hmm. between two people sometimes, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also like, you know, uh, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another important concept is Song Chang in Chinese. It's like a sincerity. Mm. So, you know, I, when I make a decision, I always think about if I'm really sincere because like, even if like the results turns out to be bad, if I'm really sincere, sincere, I don't think I'm going to have a regret. I made the choice, you know, I, I could make, you know, at, mm -hmm. at that moment. And that is actually uh, one of the Confucian's teachings, you know, in Confucianism. It's not about the results, you know. Um, it's not about whether the um, a gentleman doesn't act because it's he's gonna, you know, get a good result from it. You know, he's mm -hmm. acting sincerely, and by doing that, he's acting in a good way. Um, so the sincerity matters a lot to me. Yeah.
And th that's a really nice idea. One that I often tell a lot of my under undergrads and things when they come for sangdams or they're, they're not sure to, to do go to graduate school or do this or stay in Korea or go home or whatever they might be thinking about. I always tell them, Suhyun, yeah, but you've got a choice. And what it, there's no perfect choice. And that's what a choice is. If it was obvious, it wouldn't be a choice. You would just do that. But you must acknowledge and appreciate the luck you have to be able to make a choice between these things so whatever you choose that's your choice and like you say do it sincerely is a really cool thing one of my big things about you said that there are some values that you wouldn't give up um, mm -hmm. but some that you will make sacrifices especially related to um, green behavior Man, I, I think paper straws suck, man. I, I just need to say that. Like, why do I have to drink a paper straw when you've got all that plastic? Like, just give me a straw. Um, paper straws suck. One of the things that I, I try to have difficulty conveying to, to people that just come to Korea, and I'm not sure if this is what you think Confucianism is, but in the United Kingdom or other parts of Europe, we kind of treat each other as equals and we use each other's names and we shake hands and, and we do all this. But in Korea, I'm immediately cognizant, uh, now I've been here nearly 20 years, of the Gechung, of where I am in this setting, right? Oh, that person's the oldest, then me, and then me. So I'm never saying their names. I'm never really speaking back to them, but I'm above those people. And that's not how I would naturally act. I would treat everybody the same, whether this person's 50, this person's 30. We're just people. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. But I, I find this conflict in Korea because to do well in Korea, you have to rep acknowledge that thing. Is that Confucianism? Is, is that is that a moral system? But I think it's like a, um, as I said, like a lot of values, they get entangled in the in a society. So yeah. it's really hard yeah. to pull them apart. Um, I think the sense of that, you know, um, they're so in Confucianism, we call it Zhongyong. Uh, it's the, um, the acting according to the name, right? It's mm. like, you know, the king should mm. be a king, and yeah. the father should be a father, and yeah. the son should be a son. Um, so I think, you know, that could be a, the, a huge influence. Um, but I still do not think that, like, you know, just distinguishing people, like, you know, oh, you know, I'm a year older, you know, you're a year younger, like I'm like, you know, somebody higher. <laughs> um, I'm your young, I'm your, you know, I, I don't think that is Confucian thing. You know, I mean, um, they're also like, you know, bunde, like, you know, how older people like um, want the younger people to uh, just follow them and, you know, not to stick up against them. I don't think that is Confucian. Either. I mean, when you think about the debate between Gideson and Yihuang, like there was, Gideson was new person, like, you know, he was like really young and Yihuang was the like a grandmaster at that point. And Gideson is like writing letters after letters, like criticizing his points. And Yihuang comes back with like his, his arguments and none of them say, it says like, you know, hey, why are you talking back at me? It's not like that. <laughs> um, mm. So uh, when they say Jungmyung, like, you know, acting according to the name, yeah, I think it's something we can really agree these days too. You know, like teachers should be teachers, right? And we don't, okay, we can't, um, and by that, like I'm not saying like teachers should be teachers, students should be students, so students should wear 
like, I don't know, um, certain things and, you know, they should act in a certain way. I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to prescribe certain behaviors to it, but I think, you know, there are generally things we think of where, what good teachers should be, you know, caring mm. and, you know, um, trying to teach students in a sincere way. And, you know, students, they should be interested in, you know, learning and those kind of things. So I think, you know, it's, we can easily agree that, you know, those things matter. And in that way, um, teachers should act according to their names and students should act according to their names. Um, but uh, of course, um, this is, it's really easy to distort this concept and, you know, just like a, um, abuse it in a way, mm. you know, it is abused in certain social circumstances in Korea. But I, I, don't, I don't think that is the problem of Confucianism, but like, you know, the problem of people who abuse it and we should push that back. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that because I think sometimes Confucianism gets a bad rap and it's the, people say it's the cause for everything bad or it's the, it's the cause mm. of Kapdil or Gondes or, or right. those, those kind it's, of things. But, it's like an old view, like, you know, since like, um, late 1800s right, right like when east asia like china and korea encountered the west and figured out oh we are so behind what's the cause it's because of confucianism and um they weren't like entirely wrong again like you know confucianism is not just philosophy but also the you know how the social system and the structure and when they were um make trying to make the transition a lot of literati a lot of like people who are learned in the you know, traditional ways, um, they were the status quo and, you know, mm. they were trying to go against it. Mm. But um, I think, uh, but I gotta say, you know, there were also like, you know, Confucian, like a, uh, um, like Bagenjik, uh, who was influenced by Wang Yangming, the Confucianism, mm. who used Confucianism to, you know, uh, fight against um, imperialism and things like that. So like Confucianism, again, the idea is like a pretty fluid, but, yeah, the, there was that social system. So I think it wasn't like entirely, uh, they weren't like a entirely groundless, but it's that the, the ideas we had then, it's still here, right? It's like somehow people are still subscri subscribing to that idea that, you know, uh, Confucianism is old and like Chinese would use like Feng Zhen, like, you know, it's feudal, like, you know, Confucianism is feudal. Um, it's like a dragging us, like it, into that like a feudal system mm. um and i think it's an error they make because they do not distinguish the idea and then and then the social like institution that was hosting confucianism in the past mm. and so confucianism is not just one thing but there'll be some i mean you mentioned park and Shik, there's also e hang no and all the various people at the time that would have had right. different interpretations of it mm -hmm. some conservative some progressive some Right. for yeah. embracing modernity some against it and these would have been because of their own positions in the world mm -hmm. how do we this might be controversial you might not have an opinion on this but the the joseon dynasty for example this had a a slave population of about 40 percent some people would say at the time so and i've always found it interesting this question of does it matter whether you enslave your own people or enslave people of a different ethnicity or from abroad yeah. because that mm -hmm. that's a big conversation in other parts of the world but korean people were enslaving themselves yeah. so it's it's okay i i, I don't know yeah. but that was the gabo reforms of 1894 make that illegal but how mm. do you look at confucianism and slavery because that's the that's the yangban that's the jungin that's the nobi or the noye mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Confucianism was definitely elitist. I gotta accept that because mm-hmm. the the knowledge production in the past it happened among the wits. You know, like uh, people, like just the ordinary people, like farmers, not just like slaves, but like most people didn't mm-hmm. know how to read classical Chinese. Right. Like, you know, so, um, and because the um, Confucianism was often uh, studied by the elites, um, Mirati and you know, those people, it definitely has that elite color, right? The character. Mm. But I think you have to, again, look at it from the social context, right? Like, you know, even for slavery in the United States, um, I think there is a difference between people who um, people who okay, actively endorsed slavery, right? And people who was conditioned by the, that like a social circumstance. So they still had like slaves, but still like, you know, they would give them like, you know, not a, like a farm job, but like, you know, working in the, you know, in the house and, you know, things like that. Mm. I'm not like in, in uh, saying that was okay. That's totally wrong, but still, I think, you know, those people have like a different reasonings when they were choosing those kind of actions. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about Confucianism, we should think about it that way too. You know, slavery was like, a, it was taken for granted. And if they could like go against it, that's phenomenal. You're like a revolutionary, but not like very, very few people are revolutionary. They can't, they're like used to like what they're born into. Mm. Um, and, um, so, uh, to answer your question, I think um, Confucianism definitely had that elitist color, but there were Confucians who were uh, critical about um, discriminating minorities. Like, you know, uh, Li from uh, Ming Dynasty, he was like all for women's rights, actually. He actually had women like disciples in his, like, a, in his lecture hall, and he like, a, he got detained for like, you know, um, accepting women students. <laughs> okay. And there were people were thinking, you know, he's had having a um, improper like affairs, like adultery. That mm. was not the case, but you know, um, but there were people like that. And there was that like, you know, possibility of Confucianism being developed in that direction, right? So there were, there. so I think like, you know, you should put everything into context. And also um, Confucianism, um, like, you know, Mengzi, like Manchus, um, mm. there is that, like, a sense of um, right, like a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, Confucians often see history as a cycle, yep. not a, you know, like a one-line progress. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a revolution, and you start, and then you, you know, and everything goes down, and then people, like, a, you know, they, they do a like, revolution again, and, it, and then it goes up. So, like, Confucians, they weren't, like, a... Um, denying all possibilities of having revolutions. They were not like denying all possibilities of like a people who, like a, just a general people uh, rising up against the, against the ruler. It mm. was just like a really restrictive, like a, the ruler had to be in a really bad shape. Like it's not like, you know, um, like a, a contemporary society where people can just voice up whenever they want, right? So mm. it's like a, a little different, but I think, you know, Confucians uh, saying that like a Confucian, uh, tying Confucianism and slavery together would be a little bit unfair, 
Mm -hmm. um, although I do recognize, I do acknowledge that there was that elitist component in uh, Confucianism. And again, like there were so many different like Confucians going in different directions, and that's another factor. Yeah, I, I think these days some of the trends is to be to anachronistically project our modern values into the past and then condemn mm -hmm. people for not. And the, the danger with that is mm -hmm. what happens in 20 years where we're being completely moral by today's standards, mm -hmm. then we might be immoral by the future standards. That might be eating meat. That might be things we do buying right. from Jeff Bezos or things like that, you know, mm -hmm. as you've yeah. said with Amazon. Um, but, it's really fascinating. I wasn't expecting this Confucianism conversation, yeah, but, but I, I can see that you, yeah. you, it, you like it a lot. And the I want to ask you this question about it, the Confucianism in Korea, and that, of course, changed over time with the arrival of Neo-Confucianism and, and mm -hmm. the fall of China. Um, that's different from Chinese Confucianism, though. I think Korean Confucianism, and I, I'd like your opinion on that, seems a lot more strict in terms of, you've talked about this rectification of names, the people having their roles, power distances between teacher and students, also between men and women with bubu yubyol, putting the, the women into like anbangs and separating them, covering them. Some of my Chinese students will call me David. My Korean students would never call me David, not the ones that have been lived and raised in Korea. If they're international, they might throw out a David, but most of the time it's Gusunin mm -hmm. Professor. But with my Chinese students, I notice amongst them that the, the, they feel less of a power distance and, mm -hmm. and the, the, the female students are a bit out, more outspoken. That's only anecdotal evidence. But is the Korean Confucianism different from the Chinese one? It's stricter. It's more hierarchical, more patriarchal. Right. I think like a, um, my answer uh, is yes and no. Um, <laughs> um, True academic. I, yeah, yeah, just like evading hard questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, yeah I, I said no because like a, um, I think a lot of those hierarchical stuff is like, you know, more modern stuff, like, you know, influenced by Japan as well, right? Like, you know, and uh, militarism during the, like, you know, Park Jong-un's era and those kind of things, you know, more uptight and, you know, those orders, you know. Um, so I think there are definitely, like, you know, factors that are not Confucian. Mm. Um, but I, I also think, you know, yeah, um, Korean Confucianism was stricter. Um, and when you think about it, um, I, th I think I'm thinking about in the context of like Ming Dynasty and you know Joseon mm. Dynasty, yeah. you know, the era when there was an overlap. Um, so in Ming Dynasty, uh, what became popular was the focus on the heart, right? You know, so they went to into the Wangyang Ming's direction, and um, of course, even within that faction, they their views differed, but like sure. some extreme ones. Um, like really extreme ones, like those people were like, you know, hey, um, actually human desire, even the desire to eat, desire to have a sex, that is like a nature, you know, mm -hmm. and it is totally fine to like act according to that nature, you know, it's in your heart. Um, and that brought a, like, you know, romanticism and literature and, you know, um, art, not brought, but like they coexisted, you know, um, they mm -hmm. coexisted in Ming Dynasty. 
whereas in Joseon Dynasty, uh, Yangming studies didn't develop that much. Um, it was shut down by Yihuang, you know, when it's you know first entered. Mm. Um, it was considered too Buddhist, you know, like because Buddhists they're like you know they sound subjective as well. So like you know, oh, they are like you know not. They don't have they don't believe in like a, any objective value that is like not confucian that is like buddhist so just discard them and um and of um and also a um difference um is that the in korean like joseon confucianism uh, there i think um more people were um I'm, I'm just trying not to use like, you know, um, specialist term, like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the direction of the um, key-based studies. Um, so key, key here is like, you know, the material energy that circulates in the world. You know, it's like a-, a ki? Sorry. So gi is energy. Yeah, yeah, gi. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's ki. like Star Wars The yeah. Force or something, isn't it? Oh yeah, gi, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah qi, qi. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's not like how we use qi or gi these days, like you're not like, you know, some kind of mysterious <laughs> energy in our body, but it's yeah. more like, you know, what composes the external world, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like um, the leaf falls and then like, you know, there's winter and then, you know, there's like a, a bud, you know, those are all the like a circulation of Mm-hmm. So that um, so um, there were more people who are gi minded than like shin minded, heart minded, mm-hmm. and when you are like a um, in believing that gi matters, the objective world, external world matters, you are you know not gonna accept subjectivism. You know, you are gonna think about more more about the um, external world and you know how to how those things work and there is an order in those things and you mm-hmm. have to follow that. And how are you gonna follow that? You're gonna, you know, um, exert your efforts to like, you know, conform to those like a natural, natural orders. And, you know, um, so those kind of um, thoughts were uh, more popular in Korea, whereas in China, um, Shin-based like a, a philosophy was more developing than like in Korea. But that is like a, that also has like a good things too, right? Like, you know, I think in um, Korean Confucian philosophy, the arguments they make are a lot more organized and they are more systematic. Mm-hmm. And it can, you can see that kind of influence you have, you know, like a, the chi-based, ki-based influence in their like a writing style as well. Like it's really easy, much easier to follow. Um, if you're not like a trend in a, like a Confucian philosophy, you're still going to see that there's an argument in Korean mm-hmm. philosophy. And also... That would have been written in the traditional Chinese, though, wouldn't yeah, it? I yeah, guess, but still, yeah, yeah, written yeah. in tra- traditional Chinese. But mm-hmm. the, yeah, it's like, you know, oh, I disagree with your, like, you know, this, and, you know, the first reason, second reason, like, you know, that kind of organization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very organized. Um, and they are very, trying to be exacting. Like, you know, they don't really want much, like, a mysticism, you know, in mm-hmm. the concepts, you know, it's really trying to, clarify like uh, what this word is um so i think it had like upsides and like a downsides uh, with any kind of uh, thinking you know it's of course it, it, it it's obvious but the the idea that the conversations were taking place between objective truths and subjective truths, subjective realities and you know the the the, the 
key-based one where it's about the external world and those systems rather than the more like the, the Maum ones, the, the, the Buddhist mm. influence ones. And I'm pretty sure that anybody listening to this for queer poetry is already turned off. But, yeah. never, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, we're still here. Um, what how does that tie in? How does uh, queer culture tie into Confucianism? Does it at all? Is there a place for it, even in like the Maum based one? So you were talking mm. about opposite of the Gi one is there room for that or we're projecting into the past something that wasn't there um i only so, ask because they're the two things we've talked about thus far i'm right, just asking yeah. if there's an overlap there might not be but i'm just curious um i usually deal with these things as like it's two separate things so mm -hmm. i don't really think a lot about like you know whether there is an overlap or not um but um, I think you could develop an idea in a way that there would be an overlap. I don't think, you know, uh, there was a, like an explicit discussion about um, sexuality in, in a way uh, we do. Um, mm. They talked about, mm. they, Confucians acknowledged that uh, um, sexual desire is good when, when, you know, it is between, like, you know, husband and a wife in a proper relationship because it, you know, reproduction matters. Mm -hmm. um, so they talked about it in those contexts, but they didn't really talk about, hey, sexuality, let's just talk about it. So right. they didn't go into that direction. But I think with any kind of um, thoughts or ideas, um, you don't have to stay in the past, right? You don't have to like get restricted in, in the past and then just like think about how those ideas influenced the you know, societies back then. If you know the ideas are interesting, and if it makes say, an interesting contribution to the contemporary discourses, mm -hmm. it can be brought into that like okay, this contemporary discourses. And I don't know in what respect Confucianism is going to be able to do it, or if if it is going to be able to do it. I, I have no conclusion. I prefer not to have conclusion first before I do the um, you know more work. But yeah, um, I think that is a possible direction. Mm. And sometimes I think, Suhyun, that we only look for work or we only look for ideas, sorry, that are perfect. No ideas are perfect, even if you're looking mm -hmm. if you're looking at Plato, if you're looking at Hume or if you're looking at Lao Tzu. Actually, I think Lao Tzu's work is pretty perfect, actually. In Taoism. <laughs> I was always a Taoist. Um, but we sometimes focus on the things that it gets wrong when they might have lots of positive things to add because mm -hmm. nothing's perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. It might have something. When we talked about um, poetry, we talked about Kim Hyun and Hwang In Tan as contemporary uh, Korean poets. Like, you seem to have a very deep philosophical bent, which I now see in you more. Um, <laughs> is, is, what philosophers in Korean or Chinese should we be reading in the modern day? Or do you only stay in the old days? I mean, is there interesting philosophy going on in Korea, in Korean? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so I was told by the uh, analytic, analytic philosophers here that, you know, there are a lot of interesting analytic philosophy, like discussion going on in Korean, in Korean, mm. in Korea, in Korean. Yep. Um, but um, I'm not familiar with them, so I cannot talk about it. 
Um, there are like a Koreans who like you know were active in the United States, like you know Jaegong Kim, who was a you know phenomenal philosopher, but he worked in English. And I think uh, the area I know is like a Korean philosophers who write about you know Korean philosophy, you know, mm. from the past. And um, there definitely are a lot of interesting works. Um, like um, there was a this is a little bit dated actually. Uh, it was in like a early not early but mid 2000s i think um but there was a like a a huge debate among like korean philosophers who do korean philosophy in korea mm. uh, how to understand um yulgok yi's um epistemology you know like how he understands what is understanding um mm -hmm. so there it was like a series of debates that lasted for like six years on a like academic journal Mm. There are like so many um, academics, like philosophers, jumping into the argument and just you know, just the discussion going on and on and on, and you know, so there are a lot of exciting things happening um, in Korean philosophy as well. I have to look out. Somebody recommended me a book. I, I can't remember the author's name. It was Cholak and Cholak, King. Mm. Kim Sin Kang Shinju. Anyway, I'll find it later. But what I do notice that it's a trivial point. What I do notice is that although there's sometimes entertainment shows, Suhyun, there's still a lot of professors and, and, and people on like mainstream television talking about history and morals right. and philosophers. You don't really yeah. see much of that on British television anymore or Western yeah. television. But I, I do still see that here in Korea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which is like I feel a little bit hopeful about, mm. um, you know, there are people are I am also worried about the fall of humanities in not just you know Korean academia but you know academia everywhere but I think Korean academia it's even worse to be honest um, because okay students have to choose their major when they enter university it's not like they don't have time to explore humanities and they often do not choose humanities because they want to get a job in the United States at least um, we choose majors after we enter and there is no restriction so we just explore and a lot of students take you know, English major, philosophy major, sometimes they do it with like, you know, STEM field as well. So it's like, there are like a few students who want to study humanities, but that doesn't seem to be a case in Korea. Uh, but I see a lot of grassroots like humanities programs in at a local library. Um, there was also a, I attended a program in Daegu, that's like my hometown where I live. Um, it's a, like an organization for like a just a grass grassroots humanities but a retired professors would teach a course like for a semester you know it's a very like affordable and you go there and you sit around and you know people like you know people are from everywhere like some are retired police officers some are like you know just a um next next door old woman like you know mm -hmm. who's just like housekeeping you know but she likes to like take these humanities courses when she has time so like uh, people get together and they talk about you know Jung Yagyong, they talk about Plato, they talk about you know um, Kant. You know mm. those things are still alive in Korea as well as at the local library. There are so many humanities lectures and people actually go there as well as the TV shows you mentioned. Mm. So yeah, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than a lot of people.
and you're the next generation. What happens when you finish your PhD at Princeton in all of this? But but do you have a do you have an idea? Do you have a vision? Will you be in Daegu speaking to the housewives oh. about uh, Ihangno and Isang, or will you be somewhere else? Is there is there an idea? Um, I really have no idea at this point. Um, I s I can see myself in the United States, and you know I I like being in the United States. Um, but it's also nice, nice to be, you know, near, uh, near my family and, you know, that's an upside. So, um, at this point, I'm just trying to focus on my research and, you know, mm. doing it well, instead of like thinking about where I want to go. Sure. I sure. don't have that much like you know, options for mobility anyway. So you do what you can. Yeah, I know it very well. Good luck with your research. It's, uh, Thank what uh, the, the historian David Fields gave me some advice when I was doing my um phd uh, dissertation and he said david there's two types of phd dissertations good ones and finished ones <laughs> so i just got the finished one done it's like just get it finished mm -hmm. because you know you always want to make things perfect but mm -hmm. um shall we perhaps move on to this and i'll pronounce it wrong nabilera yeah pronunciation yeah, that, is, that is right that is right really That's really yeah. nabilera, yeah, nabilera. Yeah. and Nab so nabilera is a um what is Nabilera? You describe it to us. It's a contemporary literature translation, Suhyun? Yeah, it is. Um, it's a, um, a literary journal I started um, actually when I was an undergraduate student. Um, so yeah, I picked up a... Um, I've always liked the cre creative writing. Mm. And when I entered university, I just started to keep a blog called Untranslation, and I just translated a lot of poems. And I translated a lot of famous poems, you know, usually in like a Korean textbook and surprisingly I got like a I got so many visitors like a basically wow. every day it's mm -hmm. like from everywhere so I feel like I, I gotta do something more ambitious than you know just a blog yeah um and so um I thought if I want to do something seriously then I I want to feature you know somebody more exciting I, I think um, people who are alive are more exciting than people who are dead for the people who are alive, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, so I decided to uh, feature somebody young, somebody underrepresented. Um, so cool. I gathered some of the transla tra translators and started that. And um, yeah, um, and another influence I had was um, I was at a, um, bookstore in Harvard Square, and you know, I was going through the literary journals, and I saw a literary journal called Monkey Business. I think they go by Monkey Magazine now. Mm. It's a contemporary uh, Japanese literature journal. They say like a contemporary new Japanese literature. So when I saw it, I was like, huh, they, they are doing basically the same thing, you know, like the same idea, right? Like featuring um, new literature from Japan, but I can do it for Korea. And mm. I, I felt like, you know, if they do it, I can do it. So I started the magazine. Yeah. Is it, it does the magazine have a print version or is it online only? No, it's, it's just online, online only because I didn't have resources to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a very cool thing. And I knew about Nabilera before I approached you for this podcast. And I didn't realize the two, co the two things were connected. So it's a real kind of tebak moment. Nabilera seems pretty progressive, Suhyun. So when I looked yes. at the various things, like you talked about with Kim Hyun's poetry, collections of poetry don't have themes, 
journals often do and Nabalera's themes over the years have included uh, feminism mental health the LGBT community which is where I, I guess Kim Hyun comes in and right. anal realism which was a new yeah. word for me um, it seems pretty progressive what's the motivation behind those theme themes is it just to give a voice to the underrepresented or is there something bigger driving than that or it's just hey it's catchy and that's what we were doing at the time um i think the first reason you said you know i'm um, trying to give voice to underrepresented um you know korean people like gay right writers i mean they are like all famous so they're not underrepresented but the um, voices there are that are uh, underrepresented um because like a uh, holly Hallyu is going so strong and you know but the web uh, k dramas and those kind of things they're usually about straight love and you know mm. those kind of things and um um and i also thought a lot of people would be interested in it you know, so yeah, a little bit of the third part, you know, I don't, that is not the only reason, obviously, you know, I don't do it mm -hmm. just because it's catchy, you know, but yeah, I right. think a lot of people are curious about it. You know, a lot of people would read it, you know, um, so that was my motivation. Mm. There's a lot of good people. As soon as I po posted up on the Deconstructed Insta that I was talking to you, Beth Unhee Hong got hold of me. Oh, yeah. She was she was very excited to hear about that. But mm -hmm. you, you mentioned Hallyu Suhyun. The dramas, certain dramas, mm. like I, I was watching a bit of what's it called? Hebang Ildi was it my liberation notes. And there's, there's some dramas that are really popular in Korea, but that don't sort of go overseas. Mm. Recently, the literature is doing really well, isn't it? Like Bora Chung's work, Anton Her seems to be crushing it. Mm. Do you have any observation on the the place of Korean literature and poetry and translation in this wider Hallyu sphere, because everyone knows BTS and everyone knows Squid Game, but where does literature translation poetry, your work with this fit into that? Uh, huh. Well, I think K-pop or, you know, those um, dramas, movies, those are like you know sourced by big companies often mm. like mm. except for like independent movies but those are usually not like accessible to like a lot of people like you know abroad so like you know i'm talking about mainstream like media mm. uh, i think those are like a good a stepping stone for people who are interested in um korean society you know they love uh korean songs they love like you know these shows that are on netflix they're mm. accessible but not all do but a lot of people i think as they watch those things they get more curious about the culture itself right not the ones represented by the not, not the ones produced by the uh, big companies and you know in a like a more regimented way right yeah. like k-pop idols like you know they train in a company and you know they dance in a certain move but something more um organic yeah and i think literature definitely provides that um it, it it's not done by a big company it is the individual writers mm -hmm. like writing novels uh poetry and you know all those kind of stuff and they all have different voices they all have different experiences so it's really when, when you are looking at uh literature you can actually see the dimensions of korean society 
uh, I think um, literature definitely is more um, accessible way to learn about Korean society than uh, like a article in a sociological journal. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of people find literature as a means to do that kind of thing. And because you don't, because to write, you don't need a lot right you you need a pen paper you need time time is the hard thing for those of us in the the economic system but you know the the female voices in korean literature they're driving at the moment they're winning whether it's hangang whether it's kim ji young palisi pinyan saying uh the the queer poetry and literature that we've talked about today and i i think it's really interesting because it gives them a voice it gives them a chance to talk because they don't need other support other than themselves and so yeah you do get that reality is there suhyun in translation and in this kind of work is there anything that ever gets lost and what i'm going to talk to you just very briefly about here is things like are these explicitly korean things that non-koreans can never understand in translation or are, are they just words like kamja that just means potato but just in a different thing i don't know why i'm, I'm hungry but but do you see what the question i'm asking here yeah are there certain right. korean concepts that are literally untranslatable to the non-korean reader and speaker or are they just korean words for a universal concept that we all kind of know perhaps different in degree but not different mm -hmm. in kind right um I think the answer is a little bit complicated because this I'm talking about like poetry tra translation, not a, mm. like in a novel. Um, but the the gist of it, like in my answer, is the that I think there are of course you are losing a lot in translation, mm. but not those things, you know, not those like a cultural stuff. Like I think those are translatable. Um, it's like. Like we have like a gauge like other people's like emotions at some yeah. point in our lives. Uh, we have like a heard about or like experienced uh, people who are in authority trying like harassing people like you know with mm. their power. Mm. Um, I think all those concepts. I, I don't think they are uniquely Korean. I mean, like you know how those happen happen or like you know where you need nunchi, You know those kind of contexts might be more like you know korean there might be the korean context where you have mm. to do those things and how those things happen but i think you know there is that universal experience where you know we feel harassed by somebody who's powerful what about or, you know, han, we feel then? han i, I think we, we all, yeah as, as well as jong i i don't know mm. like you know mm -hmm. i think everyone has jong and like when you go to countryside it doesn't matter which country you know, which country you're from I mean, I, I saw like a, uh, what is that? Like a Sweden these days, they are very controversial. Maybe they don't have junk, just kidding. Yeah, oh, they, they're they, not they, eating they at the houses. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think, you know, um, those things are um, translatable and these things are especially translatable if you are translating prose, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, you can give a um, situational, like a clues you can give. And like in prose, the, uh, the length of a line doesn't really matter, you can like, you know, add like you know more descriptions there too you know as mm. long as it doesn't make the um the novel like a an entirely different thing right like you know with capture like i think you know you don't you, you can't use like a one word 
but you right. can use like five words, like yeah. six words. So I like, you know, do that. Um, and I said it's complicated in poetry uh, translation because you can't do that, right? Like in poetry translation, lines matter. And um, the, uh, the rhythm, right? Like you know, there is that hoop, you know, like a, where the breath ends and yeah. starts and, you know, those kind of things uh, matter. So you have to be concise if the original poem is concise. And, you know, so the linguistic things really matter. But I think it, mostly I think, you know, those things still can be translated. Um, but I said, um, uh, you always lose something in translation. I'm like, you know, more thinking about the linguistic challenges than mm. like, you know, those like, a, oh, is Kapjil like a, just the Korean stuff or not? Yeah, no, and the, especially with poetry, with rhyme schemes and, mm. and, and uh, right. stanzas, lengths, all of that, syllables, absolutely. Mm. And that's why I think you did a fan, fantastic job uh, oh, translating the uh, glory hole. Well done on that. Yes. Um, I, I, I think, Suhyun, are we missing anything before I, we come to the last question? Is there anything else that you want to add about Confucianism, blowjobs, <laughs> poetry? <laughs> uh, I don't think I have any. We talked a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it because we went in places I wasn't expecting. And, uh, and I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad that you, you know, we, we talked about it because you're the first person who talks about literature who would listen to me talking about Confucianism. So, yeah. I spent years studying Confucianism. I'm glad to have yeah. done it, right? Yeah. Um, let's, let's thank you so much for your time. Let's go to the last mm -hmm. question. And this is a question that I do ask everyone. Um, Despite none of us requesting the pleasure of it, Suhyun, we are all on this planet together. Now, while we are here, is there anything that we can do to find meaning in our existence? Can we do something to increase the value of other people's lives? Suhyun, what is the meaning of life? I got this question like yesterday and I was like, wow, <laughs> what should I even say? Seriously, David? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, so I don't, I don't know the meaning of, you know, meaning of life, you know, but I try to, uh, find meanings in little things that I do that compose my life together. And th through those things, I try to gain meanings in life, but I don't know, like, you know, I haven't found an ultimate meaning of life that can unlock like yeah, all the mysteries <laughs> in my life. Um, so I don't know the meaning of life. So like, you know, little things I do, for example, like, you know, research I do, literature I translate, songs I sing, workouts I do, like, you know, I play kendo these days. So like, you know, those things have meaning. Like, you know, those things have meaning to me, why I'm doing this. And, you know, it also shapes how I interact with other people, right? So I try to find meanings in those kind of things. And um, yeah, um, just let it be there. And um, I think, songs, I guess- What songs do you sing, Suhyun? What what music um, are you into? I have no idea. I can't imagine what music. Do you okay, to? I'm pretty much into like everything. I listen to everything, and like if starting from like you know classical to like classic rock, and you know just like you know pops and basically everything. I I don't really listen to a lot of K-pops, but you know I still listen to like you know k-pops i used to listen before i moved to the united states so that's you know i still listen to those um and you know all those kind of things um 
What have yeah. you been listening to this week? What have you been listening to or singing this week? Um, I've been listening to Billy Joel, like, you know, Piano yeah. Man and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and um, some of the uh, 21, you know, the Korean <laughs> um, Korean girl group. Mm. Um, they were yeah. at Coachella uh, recently, weren't they? Mm. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. But anyway, yeah, but uh, I... I yeah, that's what I listen to. Um, I I'm also I also listen to like you know um, a lot of you know as I said like the classic rocks like you know I used to listen to it like on a radio when I was like you know teenager like radio sounds like old but you know mm. um, but I still like like a, that randomness of radio like you know yeah yeah and then like if I like the song I try to like get right down the song because they tell you the name of the song right yeah, so yeah. yeah those kind of things. I'm old enough that I used to sit by the radio with my finger on the cassette player with play and record. And uh, you would have to wait till they played your song and then you would record it. But uh, you would have it, but it was like coming up next on Radio One. And that's that's right. how we used to get music, man. You used, <laughs> you used to have to sit and wait for the bloody thing. It was, uh, it was, it was hard. So funny. Yeah. yeah. Is there is there an objective truth? You said that you find your little sohwak hangs which is a mm -hmm. Murakami term, I think those small but definite pleasures in your your singing and your kendo. Is there mm -hmm. a is there an ultimate truth? And I only ask because you were talking about that that gi oriented and maom oriented aspects of Confucianism. Mm -hmm. So even though you might not know it, is there one out there? Is there a meaning? Is there a truth? Um, that's a really hard question. Um, well, when I was a, an undergraduate, I probably said, oh, hell no, you know, like I'm all, all the way in yeah. to the um, deconstruction camp, you know, but I, I'm not in that camp anymore. Um, but I, one thing I definitely know is that, you know, it's really hard to find truth. It's really hard to find, find what is the reason, right? Mm. Um, but I think there, there is um, such thing as the reason, you know, a way to think reasonably, but there can be like so many ways, you know, you can, you know, um, you can go with the, with the reasoning, but there, I think like a more like a procedural way, there is like, you know, a more accurate methods, more like exact, like exacting methods you have to take. Um, but I don't think that translates into me thinking that there is that substantive, like a truth, you know, there is the truth, you know, mm -hmm. just believe it. So, yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know, to be honest. But it avoids slipping into nihilism and thinking everything's the same. There are certain procedures or journeys that are more right. valuable uh, and more worthwhile, perhaps more appropriate and yeah. efficient than I others. Like, I think, you know, logic matters, right? Like there is logical truth and, you know, but things get very complicated because there are so many premises in our daily lives and like things that happen in the, in the world. Mm. And that's why it seems like, you know, oh, logic doesn't matter. But I think there is like a certain thoughts, like a thinking structure that helps you think clear, clearly. And those things really matter. Does it get easier with age, the, the clear thinking? I'm too young to answer that. 
How old are you, Sufjan? I, we, this is a this is a nice conversation because we got all this way without asking. So I, I guess you're oh. like <laughs> late twenties, mid to late twenties. Yes, yeah. uh, late twenties. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, okay. Twenty-eight, and not in Korean age. Yeah. In Korean age, I'm twenty-nine. Twenty-nine. Um, yeah. They're changing that. The president's changing that. Yeah. Um, he said. Uh, you can try, but you know, people are people still use count. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I still use I still use pyong because like in the United States we go by like a square like a square fit yeah. and like you know, I'm not used to square meter so like in Korea I would just go by pyong I don't know like what square meter is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure I'll go back to a pub in England one day and ask for a pint of Obexcc or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here that long. Yeah. Uh, Sihyun, this is amazing. Uh, it was it was a conversation that I wasn't expecting, but I, I loved every minute of it. Thank you for your yes, time. Same here. It was really fun. And, and oh. thanks for inviting me.